Well, hello and welcome back to Elevate Ordinary. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi. I'm Teresa Grodi. And we're back with another extraordinary conversation about the ordinary pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty. Great to be back with you again. Thanks for joining us uh, for another conversation, you know, about all those things I just said, you know, family life, ordinary things. All of them. Home. <laughs> I just feel like I want to say more about there. I just want to, re- you know, always reiterate the, the ethos a little bit here. I mean, we're just... We're, we're, we're conversing about this daily task that we have of growing in holiness, uh, not by going out there and finding something external to our lives, but through the things God has given us, through the vocation he's given us, through the family he's given us. It's such a simple message, but it's like, it's just one we have to come back to over and over and over again every day. Uh, so that's just well, what we're here to discuss. Too, right? if I could yes. assign an added value yeah. to what I think we offer which is, again, this is not a marketing thing. <laughs> we'll just keep doing it no matter if no one listens, <laughs> which is actually kind if of the point. it's worth doing, it's worth doing badly with no one listening. You know? Like I think what we add yeah. is that we have a high value of the marital vocation. Mm-hmm. And we think that the way that it works best is when the spouses are best friends and work really hard at their relationship. Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of want to invite people to listen in to our, these are com- our daily conversations. Yeah. You know what I mean? The things that we talk about and discern and talk together <laughs> in yeah. daily life. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not- I, I just, I don't think, I don't think that there is a context enough for marriage anymore. Like we used to see, I'm sorry, now we're, it's okay. We do long form discussions. We're cool. Like we used to see generations, like if you were in the middle ages, there wasn't like a, oh, you were, you were an eighties baby. You were a nineties baby. You were born in this, like, and you have these huge culture chunks that look totally different from one another. Like, like age set where you were in life. You know, you were a young person, you were a baby, you were a a nursing mother, you were an elderly grandma, you were the matriarch now of the family, Mm. you know, and nothing much changed. Like your culture didn't change as rapidly as we do. Coherence, yeah. So you could see a context for marriage in the parents, in the village parents, in Mm. the people, the generation before you. And we have such a heterogeneous society now that it's hard to have a context for a Catholic marriage. Yeah, it's the heterogeneity as well as just like the, the how quickly things move and change in our technology and our communication and our transportation. It's just made it such that the world has changed so much in such a short amount of time that we just don't, like, what does it look like it's to live out this normal, yeah. this the vocation that the majority of people are called to, and you're called to be holy through? We don't know what that looks like in 2023, you know? And so, yeah. to some degree, we're, we're put in a situation where, in, as a society, uh, people in a society, we're having to kind of break new ground and figure out, okay, what does it look like to do marriage in 2023? What does it look like? And again, we're not, it's not about inventing stuff new. It's about reclaiming the, you know, what God designed what he created and intended and then trying to make it work in mm-hmm. in the world that we in you know the time that we've been given yeah and a couple episodes ago mm-hmm. we talked about like not contracepting the past mm-hmm. and the I, and I don't think I actually elaborated it very well in the episode and I hope you do go back and read Mark Barnes's article called sticking it out oh yeah but just that children 
families create power for the church. Okay. The, like, this isn't arbitrary power. This isn't like we're called to weakness so that God can show his power through us. This is the one institution that God established for power in his world, (laughs) you know? And so, like, when we... When we distance ourselves from the generation that came before us, we distance ourselves from the generation that's coming after us. We just don't understand, you know, like nobody, everybody fits in their own isolated generation. Mm-hmm. Then we were just, we were impotent. We have nothing to offer the future. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Yeah, the family that's... is where all the spiritual <laughs> realities that we talk about, we believe in the church, they take root. They actually, you know, reach people. They actually mm-hmm. affect people. Um, that's where it happens. In right? a particular in time and place. Yeah, yeah. You know, like a place. That's where the A family are. is established, yeah. you know, and affects yeah. other families and your parish and this. And if mm-hmm. if we're always trying to find fault with the people who came before us yeah. because it's in vogue, or we're trying to find fault with the, with the younger people because it's in vogue. Yeah. Like we're, we're, we're sabotaging ourselves. Yeah. So know? having and building up a, a virtuous family it's not like another thing in the list of things you have to worry about if you're if you're called to family life like that is the big stone in your jar like that's that, the ordinary that's, primordial yeah, vocation it's that's what that's uh yeah. that's a big important thing anyway let's see the topic today we were going to talk about <laughs> rationalization we are rationalizing why we have to <laughs> <laughs> Crap! <laughs> well, you start. I Fail. mean, you you had pr- suggested this topic, reason and rationalization. I can't remember why. Well, you'd ask me about it. We but. talk a lot about prudence. Yeah, a heck of but, a lot. <laughs> yeah, but if you're, yeah, we we are an educated population, mm. right? Like in terms of the history of the world, mm. <laughs> my like twelve year old is more educated than most people throughout the history of the world, and when you are accustomed to being educated in the West, based on reason and logic and science, which is not bad, Mm -hmm. um, you have a tendency to have a reason for everything, right? So I think we were in the kitchen the other day, and one of our kids was complaining about why this child doesn't want to do the dishwasher or something like that, or it doesn't feel like doing something. And you said, you're rationalizing this. Uh, And I was thinking to myself, What's the difference between prudence turning towards reality and acting on it? So having a reason for what you're doing and rationalizing. So I asked you if you thought you could do an episode on that and you said in your sleep. (laughs) So here we are. (laughs) Yeah, I've thought a lot about this. One of the interesting things here is that I have found... I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm a philosopher. In other words, I mean, I, I, so I studied philosophy, but I, I'm, I'm a philosopher in a non-highfalutin way, I think. And it's, I just, I'm just always interested in, in words and trying to understand this stuff just because I, I want to I figure it out for myself. Like, I, I'm not into philosophy for uh, writing academic papers and things like that. I just have questions I want to figure out. And so I'm always trying to thinking and, you know, trying to tease them out. And one of the places I've found some of the most fruitful philosophy of that sort, that sort of real world philosophy is in just oftentimes just rediscovering like what familiar words mean. And this came out in, you know, in the study of the virtues that we've done and we've been talking about the past few years is that this familiar word to rationalize suddenly came to life for me. Like we've all used the term, we've all heard it, you know, this person is rationalizing their actions or, you know, 
we've all heard it and we're kind of familiar with it. We kind of know what it means, but it wasn't really until I got into the virtue stuff that I realized, oh, now I really get the significance of that term. Mm-hmm. Because in some sense, to rationalize, rationalization is, it's a pretty good image of kind of the opposite of what the virtues are as we've discussed them, as we receive from the church, as we receive from antiquity, this structure of the cardinal virtues, this basic template for how you work as a human being. You're, 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 a, you're a instruction manual for operating this, this being that you are, this human being. If virtue describes this, this picture, rationalization is that picture turned on its head. And it's the normal way that we live our lives most of the time. Um, so what does it mean to rationalize? Okay. When we talk about rationalization, we talk about somebody who's rationalizing what they've done or, or, or kind of coming up with a reason for something. What's interesting about if you dig into the term, you understand how it's used and understand what we mean by it. We recognize that, um, so the terms reason and rationalization, they, they do mean the opposite sort of things. To reason means to begin with seeking the truth and then to act in accord with it. To rationalize means to to come up with reasons why what you've already done or said or believed. Or what you want to do. Or what you want mm-hmm. is right. We are, as human beings, we are, we are thinking, choosing, and feeling beings, right? We have an intellect, we have a will, we have passions, right? And the virtues really come down to getting those in proper order and having this, this proper progression of how we engage those faculties. Mm-hmm rationalization is to turn that on its head. So the normal way that we as human beings do things in our fallen state as fallen human beings, we feel first and then we act without thinking and then we rationalize, right? You know, I I have a feeling, an urge. I'm afraid of something or I desire something. And so I've already made a decision in my heart. I'm going to get this thing or I'm going to get away from this thing. And then maybe our reason kind of comes, brings up the rear and says, well, well, this is, but this is right. And this is good. And I'm owed this and this, you know, for all these reasons, mm-hmm. they're not reasons, they're rationalizations. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we're not really open to the truth. We're just trying to make ourselves feel better about what we've already decided or chosen. And virtue is precisely the opposite of that. You know, virtue in practice um, for most of us, because we're coming from this place, we're all kind of recovering from that reality that we're, we're people of rationalization. It's almost always a setting aside, getting a little bit of distance from our feelings first and beginning with reason saying, okay, my fears and desires aside, what is true? What am I really called to? Who am I? Who is God? What are the responsibilities he given, has given to me? What's the hierarchy amongst them? It's reasoning first and then trying to act in accord with that reason. Mm-hmm. And then in that context of, of that right action, dealing with my feelings and passions, which may be helping me today. You know, some, t- some days, you know, they're, they're decently ordered. I'm in a good mood. They're helping me along. And some days they're not. Some days, uh, if I were to go with my, my feelings, uh, I wouldn't do any good. But because I've, I've started with reason and I'm trying to choose in accord with reason, I, I know what the right thing is to do. Um, do you think without the book here, because I didn't plan this, you could describe Chesterton's The Maniac chapter from... Orthodoxy, yeah. There's a a good example that connects to this. At the beginning of Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy, one of his his famous book kind of describing his own spiritual journey, one of the first chapters in that book, it might be the first chapter, is called The Maniac. And what he describes is, um, you know, the person whom... 
um, I mean, these are these are my words. He's describing a person for whom no amount of reason could ever convince them to kind of leave their cramped, narrow little universe, right? The person who has decided in their heart to believe that they are God or they're the king of France or mm. whatever you want to insert there. I mean, we have a lot of people in our world today who believe a lot of crazy things, uh, what we would say are crazy things. But he's talking about this sort of dynamic between your, you know, uh, reason and rationalization, right? Unless you're a person who's open to reason, there's no amount of reasoning that can convince you, right? So is it, I'm having a really hard time understanding what reason is. Hmm. So when you're saying like a person who's open to reason, Hmm. what does that look like? What does that feel like in the Ignatian kind of way? Like what is reason? As opposed to reasons for. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I, I don't think here I can give some really precise philosophical definitions, but I, I would say that openness is actually an important piece of that, mm-hmm. right? When we talk about, like, God has given us an intellect. That means this faculty that can be open to truth. It can comprehend, it can receive, and it can make decisions about it. Um, well, part of what we would say is the difference between re- reason and rationalization is that we really are open, right? There really, there really is this this uh, intellectual openness to, mm-hmm. like, I, I want to, I really want to know what the truth is. Um, you know, the we have another we have another term, uh, sophisticated, right? Sophisticated. Well, that's referring to the sophists, the Greek sophists, who were, you know, a, a school of Greek philosophers who were all about arguing really, really well. Mm-hmm. In other words, they weren't about truth. They were about, mm-hmm. about taking any argument, like a modern lawyer, right? Any argument. And saying I can make a case for this. That's why I love However ridiculous. political science. Right, right. And not college. not all lawyers are like that. <laughs> but you know, but that's no, that's, my best friend is that's part of what they're practicing, right? Is this ability to make a good argument for anything, right? And that it, it kind of gives us uh, you know an insight into the difference between those two things: reason and rationalization. You know, am I if I'm if I'm a person of reason, if I'm being prudent? Again, prudence begins with true reasoning in the sense. I'm open to truth, and I'm trying to work on that truth. I'm trying to see what the implications are of that truth. Um, and so, so when we yeah. were in when we were in college, I mm-hmm. remember one of the very first awakening, opening yeah. uh, realizations was, is we we dealt in ministry in college with a lot of atheists or a lot of atheistic feelings. Right, we're at a secular university. Um, and there's always like these gradations, like a lot of college students who are Catholic or Christian have atheistic thoughts, you know, or concerns, but then also with, uh, fundamentalists, you know, because, um, you're, you're always debating someone who wants you to leave the Catholic faith, you know? And we kind of had this realization that like fundamentalist, fundamentalist Christians and atheists are, are really similar in spirit sometimes where it's like, I've got this truth, which is smaller than me, right. wrapped up, and it's like in my back pocket. Yeah. And I'm always in control of it. And this is what the truth is. Whereas we were beginning to realize that Catholicism is a great opening, mm-hmm. an opening to mystery. I mean, like Pope Benedict, like the man who practically wrote our new catechism, was like talks frequently in his writings about there are things we don't know. There are mysteries, you know, and heresy kind of always seems to 
try to make something black and white. Yeah. And mi- like God is mystery. Like we, yeah. we will never fit him in our head because he's bigger than us. We will never have the whole truth because it's bigger than us, yeah. you know? Um, and so maybe, maybe that's what openness yeah. is. Um, the, the church is there to tell us what to believe in certain cases, right? There are things about God that you must believe this to be a, be a Catholic, right? That God is this, he's not this. Jesus is this, he's not this. And, and the church is, is there just to guard these, these essential truths. But in some sense, in, in, a, in, a, in a bigger way, the church does more of teaching us how to believe or mm-hmm. how to think rather oh than exactly gosh, what yes. to think, right? Yeah. And some some people think that the church is just, it, you know, it, it it's going to go through everything in your life and tell you what to believe and all these things. And actually the church is really conservative, right? It's going to be very, very careful what on what it dogmatically yeah. defines, <laughs> right? God is this, this, this is what happened to Mary. This is what, you know, scripture means. In in some sense, if you look in the big context of things, that's actually a very small, narrow at, uh, piece of truth that the, the church declares on. About everything else, the church is going to form you on how to think. Yeah. How do you, well, how, how do you make decisions about what to wear and how to raise your family mm-hmm. and what marriage should look like and you know what to do with your money and all those kind of things? The church is going to give you principles. You know, you are to be prudent, just, courageous, and temperate. The church is going to tell you that definitively. There's no time and place in which you're not called by God. You ought to be prudent, just, courageous. Okay, but I need a day in the life. But (laughs) it's not going to tell you what that means for, again, your your food, your money, your clothes, and all those kind of things. You have to take those and apply those principles. So the church is going to give you some of the things you are to believe, some of the content, but... You know, but it's also going to form you how to uh, how to believe, how to think about these other areas. And so, with this kind of thing, you know, the this question of of reasoning, right? There's there's the what, but it's you know, the relationship to it is really really important. And sometimes we get we forget that that full picture, and we reduce faith to just the content and not our relationship to the content, to the truth. Mm-hmm. And then we get really off track because we, again, we we start to put God in a box. We start to put this truth is something that I, I've got my mind around who God is, you know, what the, what the truth is. And that attitude means that we've, we've, we've lost hold of the truth, right? Because uh, God's always going to be bigger than you. There's always going to be more that you don't know than you do know. Uh, and it's only with the right attitude that you can keep approaching God. So you have mm-hmm. to keep the right attitude towards truth, um, yeah, yeah. Gosh, I remember feeling so cheated <laughs> as an academic. Mm. Okay. When I came to my conversion right around when I started my master's degree, yeah. um, and I came to my conversion through a Marian apparition mm. and I decided to study Marian apparitions, like historically speaking in my secular universities, secular history department. And I just remember feeling so cheated when I would look at how the church approaches the issue of determining whether or not a mystical event, a private revelation, a Marian apparition, is worthy of devotion. And I I, I just remember like looking at the rubrics and thinking like, this is so well thought out. This is both, uh, this is both faithful to the truth and protection of the church, but also open in a radical way to the fruit that may come out of this thing 
that has not yet been officially yay or nayed. Right. So and I, I was just blown away, you know, and then we learned right around the same time we learned about theology of the body, reading John Paul II, hearing his arguments for the first time. I was just like, like, what am I even doing in a university? Yeah. Like I should be reading all of the church documents because it's so beautiful. Yeah. Like truth and trust truth and mystery i mean like it's yeah. it's just it's stunning reason in its most authentic sense its full sense is more like prayer than it is like like working if that makes any sense right like when we go to prayer mm. we're doing something but it's more that we're sort of placing ourselves in the presence of god and yeah we're giving to him and we're talking to him but if we get too focused on like making it happen or trying to make the fruit of prayer happen on our own steam we, we it, it sort of frustrates the process the reason is more like that like if we get we if we try to hold too tightly on the truth and figuring it out for ourselves and we don't keep this posture of openness to god mm-hmm. openness to the truth then we start to just to, to well it, it starts to elude us uh I, dr peter craft always talked about what he called the hamlet principle and he was quoting mm-hmm. shakespeare you know um hamlet talking to his friend Horatio, I think, you know, saying um, there is more in heaven and earth, Horatio, than you've dreamt of in all your philosophy. Mm-hmm. I, that's probably not a perfect quote of that. But, you know, the an interesting thought, there's always more in heaven and earth than you've dreamt of in all your philosophy. There's always, like, that's the right attitude. Mm-hmm. That's the right Catholic attitude towards truth. That it's the opposite of materialism. It's the opposite of, yeah. of material, like, scientific materialism, reductionism. It's the opposite of a, sort of a fundamentalist you know, religion, which again, tries to reduce religion down to a few essentials that I fully understand. There's no mysteries. I've got it. You don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than this relationship with God where he's given us, he's, he's revealed m- much truth to us that the church guards and, and gives to us. But our attitude has to be one of, of great, ever greater humility and trust and faith. And only, only through that can we be more and more open to that truth. So rationalization is yeah. not what we want. No. Prudence. <laughs> Prudence is what we want. Can you yeah. help me distinguish the feeling of prudence versus yeah. rationalization? Yeah. Because sometimes, fe- sometimes like a feeling is helpful. Yeah. You know, rationalization oftentimes feels like you're trying to catch up with a lie that you can never really catch up to. Hmm. Right. And prudence allows you to kind of feel at peace mm-hmm. in the scenarios that you're in. Yeah. Right. Like you feel like I've made a decision that we are not doing school today (laughs) and we will enjoy the we'll enjoy. Right. Maybe I don't feel like doing school today, you know, but like this is a good day to enjoy. And I can be at peace with the fact that I've made a decision. We're going to enjoy nature today. Whereas like, well, maybe that's not a good example. Okay, you give me an example. (laughs) You you help me understand how to do prudence instead of rationalization. Yeah. Terrible, terrible example. Rationalization, it's just kind of our normal state of affairs where we we start, we just have a lot of strong feelings, fear and desires, and we just kind of live in the swirl of those things. And we, we make decisions just reactively, you know, because of those things, you know, and then our reason brings up the rear. And the... Prudence is, that's why prudence is this first step into the life of virtue. It's always the, oh. the opening to, to virtue because it's this first step of saying, okay, hold on. No. I want to know it's true, even if it, if it implies doing something I don't feel like doing, right? Um, I'm not going to rationalize 
what I want to do. I'm going to say, no, what, what ought I do? Who, who am I? So prudence is always this conversion. Oh, I know what I was going to say earlier. Um, I've been thinking a lot lately about um, Father Thomas Dubay. He's one of my favorite spiritual writers. He has this real small, wonderful little book called Deep Conversion, Deep Prayer. And in the second chapter of that book, um, I can't remember what it's called, the, the Radical Conversion or something like that. But he talks about how the beginning of, of Mark's gospel, we have these first six words of Jesus' public ministry. Jesus says, be converted and accept the gospel. And I like Father Dubay's commentary. It's interesting. He points out that these are very striking words, and they're kind of odd. They're kind of weird because we don't, we'd kind of expect them to be reversed almost. You know, we, we'd sort of expect our intuition would be, well, you got to accept the gospel and then be converted by it, right? Accept the truth and, um, and, and you'll be converted by it. And, and even given this discussion, that kind of makes sense, right? Like, I mean, the truth and then the action. But why does Christ say be converted and accept the gospel? And I think the point that is being made there what's, is that even our ability to accept the truth starts with a little conversion, right? You have to be a person who's open. You have to have the right attitude toward truth or you can't accept it, even if it's looking at you in the face. Like you can't be a person who accepts truth. And so that's kind of what we're talking about here is that even, this is why prudence is that first virtue because to be open to all the rest of the truth, to be open to, to what is the right thing to do and all that and how to organize my feelings and all that kind of stuff, you have to have this initial conversion. You have to make this choice to, I want to know what's true. I want to be a person of truth. I want to act in accord with truth. That's this first step. You're not really going to be able to accept the gospel. You're not really going to be able to accept all that, you know, all that Christ wants to give you unless you, you're first open to it. And first you decide, uh, there's a little bit of a martyrdom there. There's a little bit of a, of a, a self death there because again, we want to just live, uh, in our in our fears and desires, we want to stay comfortable, right? We want to make decisions that just keep us in our comfort zone. And as soon as we really ask sincerely, like, okay, I want to know what the truth is, even if it means I'm going to have to get uncomfortable. Well, then we've started down this path. Now Christ can give us the full gospel. He can, he can you know, we we can be open to what the church is teaching us. We can be open to the ways that God is calling us out of our comfort zones to make changes in our lives. Uh, again, that's the opposite of rationalization. Right, that's reason in its its true authentic sense. I'm I'm open to the truth. I'm open to what God wants to tell me. I'm open mm-hmm. to His church, uh, and now, by God's grace, by cooperating with God's grace, I can begin to build, to grow in virtue because I'm acting in accord with what is true. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So I think I'm starting to understand. Like I still was not seeing the difference between prudence, like thinking through the situation and making a prudent decision Mm -hmm. and then rationalizing the reason why I'm going to do something that I shouldn't do Mm. or that's just easier or more comforting or whatever. Mm. Okay. So I'm reading John Paul. Well, it's not John Paul II. It's when he was Cardinal Wojtyla. He wrote Love and Responsibility. Mm -hmm. And in the chapter, which I've tried to read this book like for 10 years and it's just like way over my head. But now I think 12 years into living marriage vocation, it's like he's finally speaking my language. (laughs) Like I can finally understand it. Well, now I'm speaking his language, (laughs) whatever, however that goes, chicken and egg. Um, But yesterday I showed you this passage that was part of like the theological stuff that I couldn't, I couldn't quite grasp Mm -hmm. um, where he was talking about 
it's in his chapter about shame, mm-hmm. particularly the, the portion about shamelessness. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about like an example of like there's, this, these are not his words, but it's almost like there's first shamelessness and then there's secondary, like primary, not my words, my poor summary, but like there's physical shamelessness, like when a man thinks bad thoughts about a woman and that is what he's shameful about. But then there's secondary shamelessness, shamelessness where he does want to think those bad thoughts or he does think those bad thoughts or whatever. But the secondary part is that then he feels, I just like, I'm just, I can't, I can't control this. This is something I can't control and I'm never going to control it. And I'm just gonna, you know, like I'll I'll just never be able to rein this in that, that those, those are both shamelessnesses, but one is like a physical shamelessness and the other Mm. one is like an emotional shamelessness. And I think that that second one is rationalization. Hmm. So rationalization isn't the sin itself. It isn't the, the, the action of the sin. Like I'm oh, not supposed to eat or, yeah. meat on Lent, but I did. It's like the, the secondary portion, hmm. the continuing it down the spiral of sin. You're, you're rationalizing why it was okay for you to eat that meat on a Friday in Lent. Yeah. Um, does that make, that, that helps me identify better whether I'm trying to act prudently. Yeah. Because sometimes my, my desires and my fears are just not yeah. readily apparent to me. Yeah. Um, what I'm hearing there, and it, 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 it makes sense to me that, you know, part, part of what happens when we're acting prudently, when we're acting reasonably, is that there is this, this freedom, right? Where I'm not trying to hide from myself or from God or from anyone else. Like I'm, I'm suddenly, I'm acting yeah, just freely. Like I don't have, there's nothing to hide here. I just want to know what's true and I just want to do what's right. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it happens happening in rationalization is always it's coming after a feeling or after a prior decision or after something has happened. And I'm trying to feel better. I'm trying to deal with the fallout of it. I'm trying to deal with, you know, to justify myself before God or to explain myself to my spouse or to, or just to be able to live with myself after something's right. happened. Right. Or if I, if there's something I want, I already have had that feeling. I've already decided in my heart of hearts to give into it. And now I'm just trying to like make it make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. And part of what's going on that, and, and I think we've all, we can recognize that we've had times in our life like this, where live, life like that, it's also like really stressful and complicated, mm-hmm. right? Because you're just trying, you're, when, when, when you get away from truth and truth telling, mm-hmm. then it's just lies upon lies and rationalizations upon rationalizations to yourself and to everybody else mm-hmm. about trying to make things make sense. And when you just decide to be a person of truth, it's like, oh, suddenly it's just real clear. I remember when I first got into the virtue stuff, I, I, I had these vivid memories of times in my life where I had I had been in moments where I was really, I couldn't decide what to do. I remember, I, I think I was planning a party once and I I don't remember what the party was, or who was involved in it. All I remember is having this experience of being like, well, okay, this person wants this and I'm trying to make that person happy and I know these people want this and how can I make it, and I want this and how can I make it all work? And I, and I just sat there, puzzled it out. I couldn't make sense of it. I couldn't think my way out of this problem. And it only occurred to me like years later, especially in the light of the virtue stuff that, oh, well, I think <laughs> the big hairy issue is that what I was ignoring was that in the midst of all that, I was ultimately trying to protect what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I couldn't, I couldn't even make a decision about what the best thing was to do because I was trying to, I was hiding that part of it that ultimately I'm going to get what I want. 
That's yes. Pure. What is that called? <laughs> Prudery. Oh, that's prudery. Double prudery. Double. Yeah, that's what John Paul II calls prudery. Prudery. You you read me that passage. The other yeah, day. where it's like you're trying to like the guy who makes a really big deal about a girl being immodest, and you're kind of like, well, what are you? Yeah, you're you pre- seem you seem to be thinking about this a lot. <laughs> yeah, like not basically not reckoning with yourself that there's mm. some some either disordered want mm-hmm. or even an ordered want. Like yeah. I want to have a family and feel the closeness of a woman, and mm. but you can't like rec- for whatever reason probably woundedness like fear whatever you yeah. you can't reconcile. So everything has to be a certain way in terms of people's appearance. Or everyone else is going to sin, but really, it's like you're—you can't come to yeah. to reconcile it in your own heart. So you're demanding these externals from other people. Yeah, if the truth isn't what you're aiming at, uh, and aiming at with other people, the truth and 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 the goodness as what flows from the truth, um, then it's all—it all becomes a matter of of power, right? That's that's mm-hmm. one of these these basic realities that we see in history. Right. If we if we gather around, we want to know what's true. We want to do what's in accord with what is true, the good. Then it eliminates a lot of complication. Right. Like it 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 simplifies things mm-hmm. uh, because we're all submitting to something greater and higher than ourselves. But once you get rid of truth in yourself or in in the community, then it's just a matter of who can make the best rationalization for what yeah. they want, or and who can enforce their their will on other people. Sometimes I think a flag that goes up in my heart. Yeah. When I hear rationalization, hmm. it, it starts to feel arbitrary to me hmm. or like overly symbolized, you know, like you're, you're giving reasons that at some point in history or time, like they don't just don't make sense. Hmm. You know, like the, the, the reason you're giving for this would not make any sense if you took it halfway across the world and plunked it into hmm. this particular culture, yeah. you know, and things start to feel, they feel arbitrary or they feel like they're not universal and the church is universal. The virtues are universal. They are for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, yeah. let's well, wrap it up. Yeah, we'll leave it there. I'm <laughs> sure we'll revisit this. ElevateOrdinary.com if you want to get uh, past episodes uh, or information about the show. And again, I'm going to keep going with this until I get to check the email and see if it's real. I'm pretty sure ElevateOrdinary <laughs> at gmail.com comes to me. I have to check it and make sure. But And if love- you get a bad email notification please <laughs> us leave know. us an itunes review and then we'll know that that email yeah, address and, and is you not... know I, and we're, we're we're sort of on twitter and facebook and no, other places we kind of are you know the I point is we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear about your family we'd love to hear about the things that you're wrestling with your journey of virtue your journey in marriage uh, we'd love to be praying for you please pray for us thanks again for joining us for this episode god bless you we'll talk to you again soon